listening to the oneofus.net podcast network one of us is a podcast and video network funded all but entirely by donations and subscriptions we do accept pitches for audio based or banner ads but on a case-by-case basis if you're interested in that contact us at oneofusnet at gmail.com with the amount of audio and video content we generate it is expensive and extremely time consuming to keep things running please go to the webpage oneofus.net and sign up for a subscription at two five ten or twenty five dollars and get a ton of bonus content One of us needs and appreciates all your support. depths they crawl back up humanity reaching its lowest point have finally awoken the dark ones as they go to reclaim their place as masters of this world and destroy all of humanity with their opinions about horror films it is deliberations of doom (laughs) (laughs) we are back it's been a while sorry you know covid and all (laughs) that and lots of conflicting schedules and like everybody being busy as hell but we're finally here and back i am chris cox your host and joining me are drew tinnan i love that introduction (laughs) why thank you sir my name is madeline fontenot i am your co-host and good old Alan Galinsky here. <laughs> oh, I don't think I've ever said my last name. Are you a good old boy? Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know about good old Galinsky. Well, good, I'll yeah. edit in some <laughs> some deliverance music yeah. or something. The last name felt real, really weird coming out of my yeah, mouth. You usually just say Alan. Alan, yeah. Everyone else did it. I was like, socials next? What are we doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like me and subscribe, which you should also do for Deliberations of Doom on all our various things. And for one of us, uh, .net on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and join our All of Us group as well, which is a social group for members of all of us who just want to, you know, exchange information and not be a dick about it, about movies, TV shows, and what have you. That's an important rule. Anyone's a dick, you're gone. Yeah. I'm actually not in that group. You should be in that group. Well, you're a dick, so. Yeah. Yeah. He can't help himself. He's like, you're all stupid. People can change. I'm trying to change. I mean, if you listen to Deliberations of the Doom, we're like, I'll give our opinions. Alan's like, man, y'all suck. This movie's (laughs) terrible and y'all are dumb. <laughs> He's not like that. No, not really. So I'm excited because we're finally getting to the topic I wanted to do through the two previous incarnations of Deliberations of Doomcast, which you just, we always put on the back burner. Always like, everybody wants to do it, but we'll get around to it eventually. Never did, which is comedy horror. And boy, are there a lot of movies to sort through in terms of picking. There's so many comedy horror films out there, and there's so many great ones. And I think, as usual, as per our want with Deliberations of Doom, we're trying to avoid our show just being like the ones everyone has seen. This is not going to be a Shaun of the Dead show, although when we finally do a zombies episode, we might do that. Please. (laughs) Just saying. But you try and keep it where it's a nice mix of things that maybe you haven't heard of, Indie films, classic films in the genre, and then a few of ones that, yes, you've seen and you love. But we, as always, are going in uh, continuity in terms of, uh, not continuity, what am I, what's the word I'm like? Chronological. Chronological order of when these things came out. Man, like, all right, just out of, off, to start this off, like, does everybody have, like, a favorite horror comedy film? In general or from this list? Like, no, in general. Um, I struggle with favorites. Uh, like, it's hard to say. But what yeah. was the first thing that popped in your head? Well, you said Shaun of the Dead, so that's in my head. And it is like the – I feel like it is kind of the benchmark for comedy horror. Like, Because it does some, something that a lot of movies don't do in the genre is really pay real good tribute to both genres. Yeah. It's not lacking – I mean, it's not necessarily scary, but it plays – It doesn't have to be with It plays horror. real reverence to the zombie picture and like what zombie movies should be and also is very funny. Yeah. So, yeah, you mentioned it, so I'm saying that one. Yeah. What about you, Mads? I am generally fond of the Cornetto Three Flavors trilogy. Um, however, up to this point and from this list – Eating Raul was really, really good, oh, and I loved it to pieces. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's the so first speak. one coming up. So, yeah, 
Fair enough. What about you, Drew? Yeah, I gotta say American Werewolf in London, but... Oh, oh but, shit. I should have said that. But, but growing up, I didn't realize that that was a comedy. And, right. and, and then I remember, and then I remember like one day it was on Comedy Central, and, I, and seeing the logo, suddenly I was like, oh, now I get it. This is funny in parts. I was scared shitless most <laughs> of the time. The first like 30 minutes of it are played a little more straight, but the moment the ghosts start coming back, and like, and you know, his friend, Griffin Dunn, just uh gradually disintegrating and the 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 happy english ghosts who've been mauled by him as a werewolf are like oh yes you should totally kill yourself yeah. like that shit is funny as hell i was, I so, I was so focused on the makeup effects i think that oh, i was like, so not great. seeing the comedy i mean first. to this day no one's ever beat it for werewolf transformation just that hanging flesh yeah, yeah. and, and, and the comedy in it isn't like juvenile which a lot mm-hmm. of comedy horrors really go for like slapsticky or splatter sure and the comedy that is like it's conversational it's jokes it's Picking up on tone. And when you're like younger, there's stuff in there you're not really gonna yeah. grasp because no one's like, you know, it's not broad comedy by any means. No, no, not at all. I got to go to Universal Horror Nights, uh, their, their thing of an American world in London. They had, I remember mo- it was great. It was one of the best ones I ever went to there, even though it was one of their oldest. And they had the subway station just like exactly. It was like, oh my God, this is like, you know, you go in there and you see the sign, the London Underground, and then the shadow of the wolf appears on the wall. It's like, oh my God, this is so fucking cool. If you ever get a chance as a horror fan to do Universal Horror Nights, they are one of the best haunted house experiences you're ever going to have. They're, they're just, they put so much money and work into those things. They're just great. I've also been to the one at, uh, Six Flags and not so much. <laughs> I mean, it was fun. I love a haunted house, but I was like, yeah, this is not up to that level. Anyway, we are going to go into this. Oh, wait, uh, mine is Evil Dead 2. Sorry, that's like the funniest comedy horror ever. And that's like, you know, that's more splatstick yeah. to be sure, but it's also absurdist. And I love absurdist comedy. It's yeah. like almost Monty Python at points. For sure. It, and when, so I, when I talk about like slapstick versus like a more mature level of comedy, eat. Equally hard in execution, you know, oh, or yeah. like slapstick's probably even harder. Probably, uh, uh, Raimi's the master of it. He's so. the best. Yeah. yeah. All right. So we're going to go into this. And yes, we are starting with 1982's Eating Rail Raul. Man, this was a movie that was so sort of like, oh, you were kind of a cool person if you even knew about it in 1982, which was not me. But it was my parents, I guess, because I remember them going to see it and coming back and going, oh, that was so much fun. Can I go? No, you can never see this. <laughs> but it was like one of those hip films that people talked about. And even if you didn't like it, it was kind of you went to see it like like pink flamingos or something. You're like, oh, this is down in the muck of indie filmmaking. But for some reason, it kind of took off and it took off for the career as well for Paul Bartel the writer, director, and co-star of this film, who before this had done stuff, but this was his big breakout film. Uh, he has appeared in over 90 movies television and television episodes, including Rock and Roll High School, Get Crazy, Amazon Woman on the Moon, Piranha, European Vacation, Chopping Mall, where he and co-star Mary Warrenov played the same characters. They even named, they name dropped them in there being the same people. It's funny because I've never, I didn't see this movie before watching it. And it started, I was like, why are these people so familiar to me? Yeah. And it's because of the cameo in so Chopping many Mall. Things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Escape from L.A., Basquiat, The Jerky Boys, Gremlins 2. <laughs> but, you know, as a director, he did Death Race 2000. One of and my faves. We always think just Roger Corman, like, yeah, he produced it. But Corman only directed, like, a handful, I mean, mainly the Poe series. And he was better known as a producer. And, yeah, this was Paul Bartel doing that. And that's what got not only him the gig for doing this, but in fact, the titular Raul in this film was Robert Beltran, who Trekkies better know as Commander <laughs> Chakate on Star Trek Voyager. So and pretty. he had turned this down flat out when he read the script. Like, absolutely not. And then he went to see Death Race 2000 and was like, okay, I changed my mind. I'll yeah. do it. <laughs> but it, uh, he's the titular character. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. think it was like, oh, well, you know, they eat me, but. I'm the star, so. Yeah, but only eventually. <laughs> and even then, you know, with the title, you're like, okay, obviously this is a film about cannibalism, right? And it is, but not till way late in the film. Yeah. Like, it, ultimately, most of this is like, it, it's a horror comedy, but most of it is like more of a sex comedy type of thing. Cause this is about two very disapproving, uh, people, uh, Paul, <laughs> the Blands, Mary and Paul Bland, played by, like I said, Mary Warrenoff and Paul Bartell, who are, you know, they want to open up like a sort of a winery restaurant type thing. Um, they're very prudish. They disapprove of sex. They don't even appear to have sex with each other, but they live in an apartment building that just has like this 
almost trauma level version of swingers parties going on <laughs> all the time. And they're just like, oh, but it keeps like, like at one point drunk swinger comes into their apartment, just like wanders in. It's like that kind of place. But the guy's like, oh, assumes that Mary's like, he doesn't know what's going on. Mary's party going to be part of this party and jumps on her to have sex with her. Paul hits him on the head with a frying pan and kills him. And they're like, oh, okay, well, that's not good. But you know what? He was scum anyway. So let's just like get, put his body in the trash compactor, take his money. And this leads to a series of things like this happening. And they're like, hey, a lot of these perverts are really rich. Maybe we could kind of finance our restaurant by just like killing perverts. Cause you know, I mean, they're perverts. Who's going to care? So this is the basic plot of this film that eventually gets more complicated when the character of Raul gets involved initially, you know, discovering what they're doing, but then assisting for money uh, for a cut of the proceeds. I don't know. This is a lot of fun, but it is so bare bones. It's just raw as fuck. Mm -hmm. Which is the charm of it, right? Like, I'm ashamed, like, I'm not ashamed to say I've never seen this movie because it is like a gem in there, but I am sort of ashamed that I never heard of it. Mm. Like, before, like, we made this list, I was like, maybe like the recesses of my brain. Shit, that makes me happy then because I got to turn you on to something you didn't even know. Yeah, it wasn't like, and I love Death Race 2000 and I, you know, I recognize this from uh, Chopping Mall, mm-hmm. these characters. So, like, I was, like, kind of just beating around the bush of, like, this guy's movies. I'm excited to see these other films that he's directed because this thing is so off kilter and, like, a fun. It does have, like, that punk rock, we're making our own movie, and it kind of makes sense. And, it like, we're sort of giving, like, real performances, but it's also just an excuse to make, like, jokes and do some wild shit on camera and see if we can get away with it. Oh, yeah. And it's... And the, the, the rawness and like the clunkiness is the charm of it. It feels like I can't believe it was like made, released and it has any reputation. Like I watched this on the Criterion channel. Like, so there's an appreciation for it in the film snobbery rule oh, yeah. world too. You know, like there's a charm or there's an energy to it that really transcends like here's a schlocky, you know, sex comedy horror thing. It's a real. There's real bona fides in it. It was a weird little critic's darling when it came out, and they're all like, okay, it's not like this is a good movie, but I kind of love it. Like, you read any of the old reviews, they're kind of all that way. Like, it's there's just a charm that totally exceeds any of the pieces that are here. And, like, this was, like, like the, with the characters trying desperately to put together money for their project of passion, this was the same thing, making this film. They were like, we don't have the money to make this. So they were just, like, taking donations anywhere they can. They they uh, they uh had to use donated stocks to sell from multiple different sources. Uh, like, uh, not to sell, I'm sorry, multiple st- film stocks that were donated a lot, which is why the film throughout it has a totally different look at points, because they're completely different types of film being used in it. I And it was filmed over only for 22 days, but over an entire year, because I mean, these were all, nobody's getting paid. Yeah. So it's all like, we're trying to get them together when we can, and when we get, oh, we actually have rights to this place for like one day. Okay, everybody show up. That That's, you know, I mean, it, it's one of those films that's so little indie and so such a project of love that you root for it. For sure. I read a thing, budget-wise, that they couldn't really afford to... Um convincingly mock up like a paper for the ad and stuff. So they just put an ad in a real paper. Yes. <laughs> like that, that ad, like that wild shit is just like, they put it in because it was cheaper just to pay for a uh, one ad spot yeah. and get that paper and be like, here it is, which is like so wild to me. It's like, put that out in the world. Yeah. It was like a, a swingers ad that they only, they actually did get one actual response for in real life, <laughs> but like in the movie, they get tons of it. So it's like, <laughs> yeah. they, they, the perverts as they put it, never stop showing up. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if they like really robbed the, the swinger too, that actually responded. <laughs> that's how they that's how they felt paid for the edit yeah yeah, yeah. it was actually the first uh the first kill in the movie it was him. yeah <laughs> but yeah I, I came to eating raul kind of this the i i didn't know about it for a long time either alan and i came to it by way of chopping mall you know because i saw that cameo and then somebody said said oh those are the people from eating raul i had never heard of the movie back when you know i don't know the first time i saw chopping mall so i and i didn't watch it for a long time and it's probably be 10 years ago was the first time I, I watched it. So it was, yeah. it was great to go back and, and watch it again. But I don't, I, I was surprised. I don't, um, I didn't like it as much as I remembered liking it. I think it, I mean, Paul Bartel is a good director, but I think maybe if it was in the hands of another director that was maybe a little more deft at like dark comedies, I think it could have gone a little, little crazier. But, um, it just seemed like, like back in the eighties, like everybody loved swingers and cannibals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's weird, right? And I don't know if it was like a response to like the Reagan era. 
You yeah. know, I mean, like it's, it's this is like eighty two. He's been around for a couple of years already. I mean, eighty is already sweeping up big and changing time. things. You had super conservatism, and then you had like the wave first real wave of American punk rock. You know, bands mm-hmm. like Dead Kennedys, uh, movies like John John Waters films and uh, Paul Bartel's films. So yeah, there was like this direct reaction against like. Oh, no, no, no. Everything is like Christian and conservative coming that was like coming out. Yeah, this is know? a total dislike. That's, I mean, part of the charm of it is like, it's such a simple and blunt, just like, hey, fuck you, conservatives movie. <laughs> it's like this. Cl- and like, I can kind of, I can see myself on repeat, like watching this again and being like, it's fine, I guess. Like, but part of the, like, my enjoyment of it is like the discovery and the charm of like, holy shit, like, this is like, it's interesting. It's fun to see something that like, has existed and has a reputation that I just didn't have on my radar. He's usually, I mean, I know there's a lot of sections of film where I have those blind spots, but in horror, like, yeah, you felt world, like you had it all. I, you know, I never would say I have it all, but I feel like I've seen a lot, or at least yeah. I, at least I know about it, and I haven't seen it. I've yet, indeed I explored know. more of the dirty corners of horror than <laughs> most genres. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh. But Matt, you said this was now your favorite comedy horror. I want to hear from you on this. I really enjoyed the overall theme of casual sex is not at all okay, but casual murder is perfectly <laughs> cool as long as they're scum. Uh, that, that, that just, it really hooked me in. Um, I love Robert Beltran. I saw him in Star Trek when I was a little girl, and I was very happy to see his pretty face in this movie. <laughs> just the, the, the sequences of where you have them murdering different people for after different kinky, weird stuff and just how normal and fine it is because we're doing this to fulfill our good American dream and you guys are trash. It's a really nice little piece of charming hypocrisy. Yeah, no, it totally, I mean, like, not even hypocrisy, I think, so much as, like, from the directors is that they're intentionally putting that text out there. Just like, oh, yeah, the Reagan's America just murdering people all over the world. But, like, it's, <laughs> like, you probably shouldn't touch a penis. <laughs> yeah. no, 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 that's not a good idea. Yeah. There were a couple parts of the movie, one in particular, actually, where he offers Miss Mary, excuse me, uh, Raul offers Mary a tie stick. And at first I heard tied stick, like tied the... Uh, like, you want to get those stains out. And I was out. like, mm-hmm. I think they're calling it a tied stick. I don't know what that is. <laughs> and then looking through like script bits afterwards, I saw, oh, tie stick. That's not what that is. What they were smoking was a joint. A tie stick has a special kind of um, leaf. I can't remember the type of leaf, but it's also bound up with string. It's a lot closer to a blunt than a joint. And then after that, I was mildly annoyed, but it's one of those. <laughs> it's not a big deal. I just caught it and I was like, they say it multiple times. Yeah. A tie stick. Ooh, a tie stick. Because I remember growing up thinking tie stick just was pot. Because for whatever <laughs> reason, that was like a catchphrase in a lot of stuff, like dragnet or whatever. You know, be like, that's just what they, ah, smoking that tie stick. I'm like, yeah. Okay. I mean, just like saying like all pot is like fucking indica or something. It's yeah. not. Yeah, yeah, no. Like, but kids, by the way, be careful. And if it says chocolate tie, th- don't smoke that. That mm. that means they put heroin in it. So that's that's a different creature. <laughs> yeah. Are they labeled? <laughs> they are now, yeah, so, <laughs> but they yeah. can't put heroin on it. Yeah, so, yeah. Like, not they can here. sell the weed, but not the not the heroin. Yeah. Uh, th- there's uh, also I thought it was interesting. Beltran. This is actually his second film, and I just watched his first film, which was Zoot Suit, which was an adaptation of a Latino musical that that. It's a failed adaptation, but it's a good musical and a really cool idea. Also with Edward James Olmos as sort of like this spiritual ghost zoot suitor who is advising sort of, uh, is it about characters. like the, like the zoot suit riots? Yeah. Not the quote, about cherry pop and daddy, the actual event. I mean, yeah. to some, it's a, that's a sideline to it, but yeah. 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 Oh, anyway, I just thought that was interesting. Also, I wanted to say, can you guys name what co-star Mary Warnoff, who frequently co-starred with Paul Bartel in films? Paul was gay, but they were best friends and they constantly did stuff together and wrote stuff together and performed and stuff. 17 movies total, they appear together. Uh, but can you name the punk rock band whose classic video she appeared in? No, I, mean, I thought you, you were going to ask about Terror Vision. You or have seen this video and you know this song. I guarantee. Uh, it wasn't for. No. no, Warlock would have been too too, too much later. 
No, everybody give up? No, yeah, I'm, like, I'm like, black flag. Um, nope, no, I got nothing. <laughs> she is the mom in Suicidal Tendencies Institutionalized video. With oh, wow. The dad. Oh, I it was a Pepsi and she wouldn't give it to <laughs> me. The dad was Jack Vance from <laughs> Twin Peaks and Eraserhead. And, oh, and there. Like, wow, I didn't remember that. I had to go. I was like, bullshit when I read that. So I had to pull up the video. I was like, oh, my God, that is. I her. totally don't remember that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she also was in a lot of the. She was in a lot of the same movies that, that Paul was in. But she was also in Night of the Comet. Remember that one? Mm-hmm. Nomads, uh, Dick Tracy, Looney Tunes back in action. Uh, and she was in, I think, a couple of the Silent Night, Bloody Night films. I'm not, I'm not sure how many, but I know she was, I think, in the first one. Uh, the, also, Ed Begley Jr. and Buck Henry playing small roles in here, which is, in case you missed the fact this is an absurd comedy. I mean, come on, here's two totally over the top comedians of their time, uh, doing it. And I also thought it was interesting. They greenlit a sequel years later called Bland Ambition. And it's very unclear why it never happened because I've read two totally different reports from different sources that both claim this is what actually happened. One says Vestron just lost interest, the producers, and dropped out. And the other says they got financed, but Paul Bartel died right after they got mm-hmm. the financing and so it got canceled. I'm not sure which one. Maybe is like Madonna true. wanted to sue them because it was Bland <laughs> Ambition and Blonde <laughs> Ambition. Right. That's a, Bland Ambition is a great title. It is. Yeah. yeah. I would, uh, somebody should do it now. I'm just saying the script exists. Why, why hasn't someone made this? Maybe, maybe that's why the Eating Rebel is off people's horror radar a little bit. Cause I, I didn't, I think Mary Warnoff is the reason why I kind of think it is a horror movie, just because she ends up being horror royalty. Um, and I first saw her, I think, in, in Warlock and then, you know, backtracked from there. Oh, she uh, was in Warlock? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't get that one. I love that movie. Mm-hmm. She comes in about halfway through, yeah, and she gets possessed. Okay. <laughs> and, and it's she's really frightening, and they do a lot of, like, great makeup effects with her. Uh, so that was that was when I so, was first introduced to her, and I was kind of frightened with her uh, by her um, ever since. She always plays so many either sc- like screaming harridan type roles, mm. or kind of people who turn into monsters. But she was like a model in Andy Warhol's factory. That right. was like her big break. Yeah, well, she's that. I mean, she's cast as like a sex pot in this because it's like mm-hmm. everyone's like is overcome with lust yeah. the moment they like, the moment they see her. Like, oh, I got. She looks yeah, like yeah. Nico a little bit too, so I can see how yeah. did she. It would be very striking back in the factory days. Yeah. I mean, yeah, to your point about this being, I mean, this is very, horror is a stretch. You know, there's not really, I mean, you talk about cannibalism and murder. Yeah, it makes sense that it'd be in horror, but it is mostly a straight comedy, like slapstick even. I think the most horrifying part of it was that at this time, this was entirely reasonable. You totally could have gotten away with that shit. Bodies in the trash compactor. These people who nobody's going to miss them. They've got a lot of money and they're just gone. Who knows what trouble they got into. It was a little bit too realistic for that time period. In the late 70s, you'll still you'll see stuff on TV like cop shows where they still are talking smack about forensic science. They're just <laughs> like, oh, great. Send it to the forensic scientist. That'll pan out. Yeah. And you're like, oh, my God. It was like almost like 70 years old by that point. And people yeah. are still like, no, it's like all about investigation. And like, oh, my. Yeah, OK. So like, that's why I I guess a lot of serial killers ran wild in the 70s. Yeah. And because people like Mary in this film left their doors unlocked or opened it when they who weren't expecting that? anybody. Yeah, who did that? I guess we did, but we never got <laughs> robbed, so I don't know. Yeah, I you mean, can make a list of yeah the, the movies that came out before 23andMe and then after. Yeah. You know, how much they've changed. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, so anybody else have anything else on Eating Raul they want to say before we move on? Um. Not yeah, really? Not really? Charming. I, yeah. I mean, that frying pan's a hell of a weapon. One con, <laughs> people just out. Love That's... the classic, like, Looney Tunes sound effect yeah. for it, even. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like, that would be a pan hitting something that's not a skull sound. But <laughs> yeah. it's funny to listen yeah, to. Yeah, very cartoony. I, I, I enjoyed it. Like, um, yeah, like, I, I enjoyed the discovery more than anything. And, like, watching it late one night, you're like, oh, you know, I put it on sort of, like, 82 is, like, older. And, like, just looking at the cover, it's like, this is going to be... We'll see. And then five minutes in, I was like, oh, this is a weird wavelength this movie's on. I'm into it. So. <laughs> with with the weird wavelength, y'all had both mentioned how you came across this movie. This movie has been on my radar, but I hadn't watched it because all of my online subscription things would be like, oh, you listen to the Rocky Horror soundtrack 17 times this week. You'll probably like this movie. Yeah, I was they're like, not okay, wrong. thank you. They're not wrong. Yeah. Yeah, a direct tie. All right. Well, we're going to move on to the film that 
Alan was like, oh, shit, are we really going to review this? <laughs> like, I, it's one of the ones that have been on my list forever of, like, the, the dirty corners of horror. Of Like, you know, I've got to eventually see 1987's Blood Diner, which I, I remember growing up seeing the VHS case and just, just never got around to renting it. But I didn't even know it was comedy horror until I was going through my going through, like, Googling online. You know, give me the most complete list of comedy horrors Wikipedia that you have. I was like, really? This is? Yes. This is not one of those, you know, it's kind of comedy. <laughs> it is decidedly a comedy horror. And it's directed by unbelievably a female director, Jackie Kong, who also is an Asian-American director, interestingly. Uh, maybe the first Asian-American direct- director in horror. I actually don't know. Yeah, because she did, she did The Being, I think, before this. So oh, that, was it? Okay. So that was a few years before. But this was originally intended to be made as a straight sequel to H.G. Lewis's classic gore-fest Blood Feast, which, by the way, is... <laughs> Despite being really un, unrealistically gory, I mean, the gore is terrible, but it's excessive. Uh, it's not a good movie. It's really, really dull. The idea of making it an absurdist comedy to blo- uh, version of Blood Feast, like a sequel to that, is was absolutely the right decision to do for this. Uh, the story here is, well, if you've ever seen Blood Feast, it's a, a similar type story, but uh, it's two brothers, Michael Tutman, played by Rick Burks, and George Tutman, played by Carl Crew, who are brainwashed by their serial killer uncle. And when we meet them, they're just little kids, and their uncle, like, mom's like, lock the door, there's a serial killer apparently on the loose, and the door busts in, and this, like, covered with blood guy with a knife comes in with crazy eyes, uh, Drew Gadaris, who plays the role of Uncle Anwar, and then he's like, Hey, my, my nephews, I love you. How are you? You're like, what the fuck? <laughs> and it's clearly like, okay, he's been on the run for the cops. Cops chased him there. Anyway, so they end up, and when they're older, they like dig him up and they like take his brain out, which I assume would have been totally rotted by this point, but whatever. Uh, and uh, apparently magic is real in this world because the uncle and then them believe in this Lumerian. Is that a real thing? A uh, goddess named Sheetar. God. Uh, Sheetar. How many times you got to hear them say Sheetar? I don't think it's from the Egyptian <laughs> Book of the Dead. Yeah. Yeah. I th- isn't that what the guitarist from L7 named her guitar, I think? I'm joking. So, But the brain, like, when they do the ritual and put it in, like, it's a brain with eyes in a jar that, that, that talks to them in Anwar's voice. And it's like, yes, you need to do these things so we can resurrect the goddess, which involves killing lots and lots and lots of people. Now, they ru- they run a vegetarian restaurant uh, weirdly <laughs> although they're like just you delivering chopped up people meat and saying no it's just our own unique recipe here <laughs> but that for whatever reason, i mean this is 1980 whatever uh 87 and you're like i just i mean i remember 1987 and you would have had to have been one fuck of like amazing vegetarian restaurant to stay in business <laughs> yeah i didn't even know vegetarian restaurants existed yeah, and like, yeah i, I think mother's mind. cafe in austin was around and that was about it okay. yeah. <laughs> there's probably one or two in new york city and san francisco and, and not so much that but i think there's a competing vegetarian restaurant in this movie too which is like right what <laughs> and neither are ethiopian either right? yeah. 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 <laughs> but they have to find immoral woman so they're these two brothers like one of which is like hey what's up i'm kind of a singer like cool guy and he is he's a good looking guy uh rick burks and the other one is obviously kind of the more psych like mentally damaged of, of the two but also he's the chef uh carl crew so he's the wrestling guy right? the, the guy yeah the guy's yeah. really obsessed with wrestling and a weird sideline to this movie we're like oh i really want to wrestle this one guy who plays like a hitler type character it's, it's, it's B-list twisted Bill and Ted for the most part. Just those two characters and their goofy little interactions. Yeah. I was, I, I, I loved Michael Tutman's look, the guy who's played by Rick Burks. Um, but I was a little bit mad the whole time because every time I looked at him with his hair and his little dangly earring, I was like, I just want you to be Christian Slater. This would be absolutely beautiful and gorgeous and perfect, but you're not Christian Slater. He is not, that is for sure. In fact, sadly, he died two years after this film uh, was released. Yeah, died in a car accident. He was in a band, and the one of the musicians, other musicians, was driving and was kind of fucked up, and they, I guess, hit a tree or something. Uh, And like, yeah, he died on impact, I guess. But uh, other brother Carl Crew went on to a very interesting life, to be sure. Uh, He also played Dahmer in a 1992 film where he wrote the script for his book called Jeffrey Dahmer: The Secret Life, that was made only a year after. Dahmer was arrested and was like 
actively like protested by the families of people. And so it kind of got buried, but I've never seen it, but reportedly it's the best version of the Dahmer story ever made. Like a Mm. lot of after the fact horror sites have come and said, of the, I think, four Dahmer movies, this is the one to see, that it's actually pretty good and kind of sensitive. But he got kind of famous from the controversy, did a bunch of talk show appearances, and uh, he is a, he was already, when he made this, he was a professional mortician, and he moved from that to collecting sideshow and carnival memorabilia, good and boy. he runs a place called the California Institute of Abnormal Arts, shortened CIA, <laughs> which is a nightclub and sideshow museum, and it's still open, and he still goes up there and does like shows and stuff. Holy that shit. sounds like fun. We should yeah. go. Can we cover that? Can that we night? go, Chris? Please. I'm like, oh my god, that's so Fucking cool. Is that in the budget? Do we have that in the budget? (laughs) We we got budget? (laughs) This is basically eating Raul, but with less of a budget. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, this is, I mean, the one thing I'll say about this is the comedy is so broad that it reminded me. a little, it reminded me of other stuff that came out around the same time. Like I just recently reviewed Get Crazy, which I mentioned earlier because Mary Warrenoff was in it. But, um, it's just this absurdly broad sense of humor that works only about a quarter of the time. But when it does work, you kind of, you're like, okay, that was pretty funny. (laughs) But it's also like this exaggerated, crazy reality version of eighties. Like this is a film that I feel like I want to show to millennials and, (laughs) and go, no, this is exactly what the (laughs) eighties. Yeah. It's, it's a thing where like, as I was watching it, I wrote in my notes, like, I feel like this would work better in short bursts. Like I feel like if you take any, 20 minutes of this movie and I watched it, I would enjoy it. Yeah. But watching like past that, like it just really beats you into the ground. Like I was mentioning like Sheetar, Sheetar, they say Sheetar so many times <laughs> and the joke is done. Like it's done in the first like 20 minutes of the movie. Like even the opening when the uncle comes to the nephews, like that's one of the best scenes in the movie because it's just so absurd and it kind of sets the stage. Like this is what we're dealing with. Or actually once they get the brain out and the eyes and he's talking from the jar that, you know, the tone is elevated there as well. But, any like twenty minutes rips. Yeah, it's like this is fun. This is wild. <laughs> but but this the whole insane. thing is a bit much. It's a, a little exhausting <laughs> to keep going. It, yeah. it took me like four hours to get through this movie, but there would be points where I was like, okay, I have to stop. But like you're saying, I would laugh consistently every little chunk of time. I'd be like, that was excellent right there. It's a definition of a like a party movie that you put oh. on in the background, like during like a Halloween season type thing. You're just like, yeah, we're gonna put this on, and some people are gonna get sucked into it. Yeah, but it's definitely. Uh, oh my god, please be inebriated when watching this type of film and be among other people who are inebriated because yeah, that's the way to watch it. It definitely like packs in a lot for like, 84 minutes. of. I think it's the perfect length, it really is, because I don't think you could really take it if it was an hour and 20 minutes long. No. They, but it really, it seems like the, the writer just kind of like threw every idea that he ever had into this movie because he's like, I'm probably never going to get to make a movie again, so I'm just going to put <laughs> everything that I like into this. But it is like like 80s on acid. It does get it's kind of like, feel like that. And I remember I'd seen it a couple of times and I actually had a new appreciation for it recently because you know during COVID there was a lot of uh, people on Twitch that were like repertory theaters and different companies and stuff that were like just showing movies all the time. And there was one called movie past that I watched all the time. They were constantly doing marathons and they did a horror marathon. And I woke up at like seven in the morning and they were playing blood diner. <laughs> and, and I, so I watched the whole thing at 7am and it was Ooh. the perfect movie to start my day to. <laughs> I was like, I was like, anything is possible. Anything is possible today. You could do anything. Um, but I like, I like a lot of the scenes in it. They're so bonkers. Like, there, there's aerobics in it. There has to be aerobics. It's, yeah. it's a, um, and they're like, they're carrying the, the, the women there are like carrying pom poms, but they're just, the brothers are there just to figure out what body parts they want to, to take. Right. Um, and then there's, you know, some classic TNA stuff that's, it's very yeah. 80s. There's a lot of, of nudity oh, yes. and yeah. a lot of gore. But the actual <laughs> club that they go to, like Club Dread, that's the thing I remember most yes. about that movie because I want to hang out there. Isn't there like, a real Club Dread? I feel like there's a real I think there is. Yeah. yeah. But I don't think it was. I don't think it was inspired the, by it. Yeah. Yeah. But I think there's a famous real Club Dread. I do love the end in that club. Like it is such a bonkers ending. That's the best part of the whole thing. Hitler is on yeah. guitar. Yeah. And yeah. Just, like, just, yeah just there's like a band that's like led by f- infamous musician Dino 
Lee, who's just got this world's mm. biggest pomp and crazy exaggerated pompadour. I mean, like not like anyone one would wear seriously. Some of you'd see the guy from Guar wear, right? The the the, the manager from Guar kind of looks like that. Pompadour mohawk, yeah. Yeah, and all the back backup musicians are like dressed like Hitler with like the mustache and everything. You're like, my wife came in for a minute and saw this, and she's like, "What the fuck is with your your generation and the Hitler thing?" Like, <laughs> there was double Hitler there because there's a, with the wrestling that George Tutman got into, he wrestles little Hitler. Yeah. And so we have double Hitler going on there. Yeah. It was it was considered to be a what's the most outrageous thing you could do is to represent Hitler. And like not in any serious way. I mean like uh, famously a lot of the punks, especially in England, were wearing swastikas in their arm and not because they believed in any of that, because they wanted people to be upset and Stick shocked. It. Yeah. Yeah. But I think this is that. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. guess Hulkamania must have been really at its peak during that time too, like in the late '80s. So maybe they're like, let's just throw in some wrestling. But I don't know why it has to. The villain has to be, uh, you know, a baby Hitler. But that, that, or a yeah, little Hitler. That, that whole ending scene is just so. I mean, the, like, if you're gonna watch anything in this movie, watch the last like 20 minutes of it because it's just so over the top, insane. Like, and the goddess resurrects, and she's got like a a a, 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 a vagina stomach with teeth yes. that's like they're there to eat people, and it's this horrible piece of FX. I mean, it looks terrible, but they're just The more like, we talk about it, the more I'm like loving this movie. <laughs> I'm getting more and more of an appreciation for it, because I remember seeing it a long time ago, just like an up-all-night thing, and forgot about it. Yeah, it's and funny. Oh, sorry, go no, ahead. I've probably seen it like two or three times since, and I keep I keep uh, just loving it more and more. I think it's kind of turning in for me like a quintessential 80s horror movie. Yeah, for me, like, I don't like this movie, but I do like as we're talking about it. It makes me want to rewatch that scene and like yeah. thinking about like the kill or the I, I can't remember. It's like in the mid movie where the brothers take I think two sisters or just two girls back to the diner and one gets like split completely in half. Completely, in and there's half. like a hush puppy head kill where they like turn another head. Like, like I'm thinking about that. It's like yeah, I'd like to see those effects again because it's like so bonkers and crazy. Like there's a lot of stuff in here that I remember fondly pieces of. But so to speak. The idea of, <laughs> the idea of like <laughs> sitting down and like, oh, let's, you know, showing this to people. Like, let's, let's check out this movie. It's fun. It is 100% a party movie. Like, I could definitely see this subtitles on background, people looking over and being like, what the fuck are, what you, are watching? you watching? What is this? I mean, like, and back it really in the day, it was attention. the story of Ricky. That was like, once I discovered that, I was like, this is going in every party I ever yeah. throw. This is playing. And every time people would go like slowly getting on the couch going, Hey man, what the fuck is this movie? <laughs> <laughs> and this is one of those where you're like, you, you, you're not going to believe it really is real and exists until you see it. Yeah. And it benefits from like, it's not really necessary to watch this movie as a movie. Like no. you can watch it with friends over chatting, looking over at the crazy shit. Like, oh my God, this is ridiculous. Where there's some movies in this vein where it really does benefit from like watching. There's like real structure to it and payoffs to jokes. There's not really like, layered jokes here where something set up in the beat like you're gonna benefit from it. You literally could like dip in, watch fifteen minutes of it and be like, God damn, this is crazy. Yeah. Like this is fun and entertaining. Yeah, to people that haven't seen it to to give you an idea of just how bizarre it is. This is the shopping list that they have in in, in I took a little screenshot of it. Ooh. <laughs> for the shopping list that they actually go um, for for their new restaurant, they have to pick up some ingredients. Um the shopping list is six dog dicks, oh. three large rats, two golden retrievers, eight cats, any gender doesn't matter what <laughs> gender is. MSG and, and dog food. So, and that's kind of this movie. It's a Frankenstein movie. It's insane. With yeah. that bizarre point, there what there is a dummy, a cowboy dummy or puppet oh, in this yeah. movie with oh. this movie. What the fuck was that? How did I forget that's about that? That's never like acknowledged, but there's a dummy cowboy with a squeaky little voice who was apparently <laughs> sentient and everybody treats him like it's normal. Yeah. Uh, what the hell? It's like the competing diner. Yes, the competing diner. Like their only customer is this thing that's clearly a dummy. Like, like it's not. They don't make any attempt to make it look Mm -hmm. like it could be a real person. And in fact, I am like ninety percent sure it's a tribute to Mano's Hands of Fate because he's dressed exactly like the main like killer character from that movie. I'm like, oh, I'm pretty sure this is where they were nodding at. And I, I feel terrible that I'm 
know that movie well enough to be able to catch that. <laughs> it's Mystery Science Theater, I swear, because don't watch it without robots in front of it. It's a terrible, <laughs> terrible movie, but one of the best Mystery Science Theater episodes. But yeah, like they give this squeaky voice and everybody talks to it like it's really there, it's even totally though normal. the movie has a scene <laughs> where you can see the diner guy and it's not like a mistake. It's an intentional shot where the diner guy is clearly throwing his voice, doing ventriloquism for it, but it's the only acknowledgement in the whole film <laughs> that this is not a real person. Yeah, that's how crazy it is. I completely forgot about that. It has been a little while since I watched it. Um, we've had this list for a while working through it. But it's insane that that can exist in a movie and I could forget about that element of it because that's how crazy the movie is. Um, yes. Yeah, talking about it makes I, – I came into this and I'm like, oh, fuck. And watching it, I was like, oh, this movie is exhausting. And then we started talking about it. I was like, oh, this is kind of funny. I don't know. I'm into it. It's weird. That's fair. The bits in between the funny – were tiring, but the funny itself was on point. Uh, there was a point where they are reading an incantation from their, it's not the book of Shitar, but their book of Shitar. <laughs> and I could see the text on the page and I was like, I have to figure out what that is. They just slapped a, a new label over the book of Mormon. They're reading out the are book of Mormon. Are you serious? Yes. <laughs> oh my God. It is, it is covenant 124 of the Book of Mormon. Oh my god, you really did your research. Holy <laughs> yeah, cow. Incredible. I'm, I'm embarrassed now. I didn't deep dive that hard. That's a great oh my fact. God. That wasn't even an I, in IMDb trivia. The, the words <laughs> they are reading are not from it, but the page that they show, like looking over his shoulder, it's the Book of Mormon. Wow. Holy cow. You guys screenshotting shit and stuff, mm-hmm. checking this out? Y'all take this stuff. <laughs> I, I love the tagline too. It's like, first they greet you and then they eat you. That's a great tagline. That's a good it is one, yeah. a sad fact. That mass homicide and practitioner of blood cults infest our society is how this movie starts. <laughs> I know. I wrote that in. It's like, I love a movie that opens with a warning, especially this movie. Because, like, you think you're going to get into some, like, Texas, Texas Chainsaw, Chainsaw type yeah. shit. Or, like, this is going to be fucking brutal. And they're, like, trying to set you up for, like, the idea that this is real. So get more scared. And it's not at all. It's just, like, so absurd. I love a warning. Yeah, it's kind of like Motel Hell a little bit, too. It's yeah. Like a similar. Compa- similar in fact, vibe. that was one of the ones that was on our list of maybe, mm-hmm. like, uh, for here. And right. I think one of those, I just, I haven't seen it for a while, but I remember I always was like, I like Motel Hell. I'm not as in love with it as people seem to be. But I think that was a film that was very much a product of its of its time. And, like, that same level, like this is, that same level of shock. And, like, oh, I can't believe this movie's doing this. But it's also kind of funny. We can't yeah. imagine what the, what they would do now for, you know, the warning message. You know, if it ends up on HBO Max or something, they're gonna ha- it's going to have to be a couple of pages. <laughs> yeah. This movie is not meant for anyone. <laughs> if you are a person, maybe you shouldn't watch this. That's a, I, I want to watch a movie with that warning. Yeah. If you were afraid of dummies, do not watch Not one. intended oh, for audiences. Not intended for audiences. Well, we're going to move on unless anybody's got anything else. Did you? You look like you have like extensive notes over here, Mads. So. Oh no! Just uh, th- we, there are two detectives in this movie. Oh, I we forgot have the detective. detective Sheba Jackson and Detective Mark Shepard. Mark Shepard is this skeezy, greasy little weasel man, and then his partner he gets assigned is Sheba Jackson. And I was very confused the whole time about her accent. I look at, looked up the actress. Her name is Lynette LaFrance, and this is the only thing she has ever been in. There is a bit of banter between them, though. What was their accent? That was so... I don't know. She was definitely not American. I don't know if it was supposed to be a British accent yeah. or... And I could not tell what it was supposed to be. Yeah, totally um, baffled. But they're, the one of my laughing points between them was they're talking about the enema bag rapist case. And it's very <laughs> brief and it's very short, but I caught it and I appreciated it. Yeah, there was a lot of, like... It felt like a Golan Globus, like, uh, Middle Eastern investment level to this film, because there's a lot of actors in it who in a, are Middle Eastern, clearly. <laughs> and they like, sold never the, pro- the poster else. first, and yeah. then tried to make the movie. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It felt like that sort of thing. Well, we're going to move on to a film that was one of my most anxious, like, oh, I can't wait to rewatch this, rewatches for this episode, which is Soci- uh, 1989's Society, directed by Brian Usna, who's... A, a very familiar name to horror fans, but he's probably best known for being the producer of the Stuart Gordon Lovecraft films, uh, Reanimator and From Beyond, the two really good ones from that series. But this was his directorial debut, which he actually 
he only got to make this movie, which is batshit insane, because he agreed to direct the sequel to Reanimator, Bride of the Reanimator. And he's like, I'll do that, but you gotta let me do this first. For the record, Bride of the Anim- Reanimator is better than you'd think it would be. It's not bad. It's no Reanimator, but it's not bad. And I don't think it's no, it's not any society, too. I yeah. love this movie. Dude, I love this movie. It is so normal more or less for the first two thirds of it. It's almost like they're really? like, let's just set you up with sort of a goofy, very eighties, faintly sex comedy, faintly like, you like, like a hot boys and girls on the beach with bikinis. <laughs> and then like, uh, you know, titular j- uh, jokes. And I don't mean that to by title. I mean, tits <laughs> and, and like you know, the nerds who are like, you're trying to deal with it, that sort of thing. And then turns into, just something that like most comedy horrors that are trying to push people's buttons and make them go, what the fuck is happening right now? Wish they could accomplish. Yeah, truly. That's the thing about this one is it becomes like an effects, like showcase spot effects, but oh, totally. None of those movies are as perverse as this shit is. This shit is, I mean, you say the first two thirds are kind of normal, like relatively speaking to the end. Remember, like in the first 20 minutes or so, he sees his sister showering with like, her boobs and butt on the same side. And like, see, there's like, there's some weird, disturbing shit. Yeah. Also, hints of that stuff is going on and there is some disturbing shit, but you're just not ready for it. Yeah. You don't really, you think like, Oh, it's going to be like, this is the tone. You know, you don't think it's an elite that much more insane at the end. Well, let me go to what the story is here, which the, the only really big star in this weirdly, not till much later is, um, uh, Billy Warlock, who plays the lead character of Bill Whitney, who went on to be one of the lifeguards on Baywatch. Yeah. Was oh. actually engaged to Erica Eliniak, one of the big breakout, like super hottie stars from that show. Mm-hmm. He was only on the first two seasons, then one of the like follow up movies. But he's then, also the son of Dick Warlock, which well, is a hell of a name. The, I am <laughs> changing my name tomorrow. Yeah, yeah and Dick <laughs> Warlock Dick is Warlock. a stuntman, and he also played the shape in Halloween too. He, he did. He played Dick Warlock. Yeah, because he's because uh, Warlock is uh, his son is in Halloween too. I think yeah. he plays Craig or something. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so he lives with his parents. And sister in a mansion in Beverly Hills, but he's adopted. And it seems like they don't play that card. Like the parents aren't like, they're not playing the card act. No, we love you just as much, but he doesn't completely believe it. He goes to a therapist, uh, telling him, I don't trust my family. Uh, but it, like his sister's ex-boyfriend shows up and basically tries to jump on his sister, which is like, well, that's kind of rapey. But then you're like, Oh, but he's friends with Bill. So it's okay. And he's got this recorded tape that sounds like his family are involved in some really fucked up, incestuous, dark, weird murder shit. And he's like, dude, what, what is this? But huh? Anyway. So it's like his suspicions are like, you know, are, are pointedly marked at that point. And he, you know, his friend dies suspiciously. And then his buddy, uh, oh my goodness. What is his buddy's name? Do y'all remember? His name is Milo. I think. I don't know. That oh, is. yeah, he has Milo. Two friends. There's Milo, and then there's the guy who dies first. Right, that's the, the, the one I was just talking Petri- about. Petrie. Uh, yeah, we yeah, know yeah. that's, that's, Fergus, no. Yeah. Petrol. But ben- Milo was played by Evan Richards, who was Bill in the Bill and Ted's television series adaptation. Oh, for I the didn't record. even know that existed. Yeah. Who's like the one guy who's like, no, dude, I believe you. Let's, let's do this stuff. It's just sort of following him along the way. Anyway, so there's like this total douchebag Ted Ferguson, which is like one of the, either the biggest douchebag on the beach name or the biggest nerd on the beach name. Here it's the biggest <laughs> douchebag on the beach. Uh, and he, Kind of, he meets a girl at the party, Clarissa, who I played by. I think she's a Playboy playmate, um, who played her, but, uh, you know, she has the most notable nude scenes in the film. But, like, things are, things get confused for him even socially. But, like I said, the movie is still treading over this sort of like, what kind of movie is this? I mean, we know it's a comedy horror, but the horror is sort of in the background, like, oh, we're building towards something. So he, Something there's some weird subplot with like the the high school presidency which he's running for and so is a mega nerd guy that for whatever reason is close is with the cool kids as well Uh, and they know something as well and he's trying to get that from them anyway the upshot without giving away everything here is that all this ends up culminating in the greatest monster sex orgy ever (laughs) filmed like and I mean like. Like you are not ready for the monster sex orgy. Yeah. And Screaming will, Mad George. And Screaming Mad George. Yeah. yeah. Screaming Mad George. Surrealist makeup by Screaming Mad George. Yeah. But of credit. Um, 
But yeah, the, not only is it the craziest monster orgy sex devouring scene you'll ever see. I think but the only one, really. It, like, yeah, <laughs> and it will never be topped, ever. Like, I get this, because I can't imagine a world where someone would want to make another scene like that. <laughs> and if they did, like, the era that this is made in with the, the effects, the capabilities of the effects, like, where they look as good as this type of prosthetics it's can amazing. look without CGI. Well, this guy was top. You said Screaming Mad George. He was top of the top. I mean, he did Big Trouble in Little China. He did Predator. You know, he did Nightmare on Elm Street 3, The and Dream four. Warriors, and 4. He did Freaked, which, by the way, if you've never seen Freaked, oh, my God, it's so yeah, great. It's the best. <laughs> but it's just imagine, like, imagine, like, taking someone named Screaming Mad George and be like, you've done great work. Go fucking nuts. Anything you could think of, let's go for it. And that's what you get in this thing. It's... Shunting, just shunting all over the place yeah. <laughs> as they mysteriously call it. I was never clear on, I was like, they keep saying what is going to happen and they lead up to it. It's like, oh, it's the shunting, the shunting party, which like when it's happening, you're like, that's what shunt, shunting, why is it called shunting? And no one ever just says it. They make shunting like sound like it's going to be a fundraiser or something <laughs> right. at the end, you know, or like it's going to be a, a, you know, a gala at the end of the movie. When they filmed those end scenes, Yuzna put a sign on the soundstage door. It said, abandon all hope ye who enter here. <laughs> I mean, I, you can only imagine because that sequence is not short. It's imagine being the actors in that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you're just grueling. Cut, like, just be so hot. Insane mm-hmm. amounts of latex and special effects work, but also everyone's naked. <laughs> like, lots what of the, sweat. Lots and lots of sweat, which just plays into the thing. But apparently, medicine a shunt is the whole or small passage which moves or allows movement of fluid from one part of the body to the other. Yeah. Which, if, like, okay, that that I mean, it, clearly they were going with that definition to some extent, but. It just feels weird they chose it and there no one ever sits and has a moment where they exposition that, you know? This had a really good combination of psychological and then body horror. Because the first part of the movie, Billy is just being straight gaslit this entire time. His entire life, this poor, poor child has been being gaslit by his crazy weird family who is a race of elite flesh beasts. Um... <laughs> But then you move you move to that body horror and all of those amazing special effects. Just a side note, Elite oh, yeah. Flesh Beast? Incredible name for a band. <laughs> elite oh Flesh Beast. Hey guys, we're Elite Flesh Beast. We're from Seattle. Let's go. And it's like, go into it. It sounds so good. I love it. One of my favorite quotes ever I did not realize was from this movie, which is, How do you like your tea? Cream? Sugar? Or do you want me to pee in it? <laughs> and yes! <laughs> He's like, wait, what? And I love that his reaction is the reaction like any other audience would have. He literally just like looks up and goes, uh, like uh, the tiniest little like, uh, like what? Yeah. It's one of those, if I knew it was going to be this kind of party. <laughs> With that gaslighting sequence, or the, the first about the first half of the movie, I do not have schizophrenia, but I do have two really close friends who do. And from my understanding, especially the portion where, you know, he's sitting in his therapist's office and he bites into the apple and there's worms in it and then there's suddenly not. And these moments of reality that shift to something crazy and strange and then shift right back from my understanding of my friend's experiences. This was actually a pretty good portrayal of some of what it is like to experience schizophrenia. So Mm. I thought that was super neat. Yeah. And imagine the idea of like having the experience of um, schizophrenia, like you think that's it, but it's not, it's just literally that fucked up and weird around you. (laughs) Like that's like, I would quit being a schizophrenic right then. (laughs) Stop that shit. (laughs) Yeah. Like I love just the, like speaking, comparing this like blood diner, like everyone, I love there's enough in movies like this from this era where, they have their like adamant cheerleaders. Like this is my bonkers eighty shit that I love, <laughs> and that's Blood Honor is not for me, but this is that for me. Like I love that. Like Lynchian gets thrown out a lot, but this is truly like a B movie Lynch feeling. It's like a lot of surrealist, just absurd depictions of what normal society or reality society. would be like, and it's like that except with a hard B movie edge where Lynch has like the art movie edge with that type of feel, but like the comedy of it, the horror of it, it's all feels that way. Like it feels like twin peaks world, but just in Beverly Hills, you know, we're just under the surface with the worm and the grotesque and the rich people the way. And I also love that these people aren't aliens. They're just rich. <laughs> like we are right. the elite. They like, been we've been here, here forever. Long it's just, as and you. The explanation is like, no, this we're just like, fucking rich and we always have been in charge and this is what 
we are. They're so wealthy that they've transformed into this, you know, this kind of blob. But yeah, I mean, I think one thing that's great about this movie and what keeps it interesting until you get to the, the end, which is really what it's famous for, is that it kind of feels like, you know, finding out what your parents are really up to in their bedroom. <laughs> and, and, and the, you know, the, the opening scenes and the first half hour is kind of like when the door's cracked in the bedroom and maybe you get a glimpse of like, oh God, are they having sex in there or something happening? And then the ending just blows the door wide open and you really get to see. It's like the worst the, possible six-year-old's imagination of what's <laughs> going on. my door. sister! <laughs> it's like if the metaphor is like the door's peeking out and you see like dad kissing mom. He's yeah. like, oh my God. Uh, and then it opens and it's revealed there's like five other people in there and they all have chains and whips. <laughs> <laughs> it's like swings. And like that's what the door opens to. Like it's that much of a... Yeah, opening. but much past that. Yeah, much yes. past that. Yeah. That'd be the version in reality. Yeah. yeah. But it's still a showcase for, for effects and that was great about a lot of films in the 80s like that where it was kind of a rock star thing that Screaming Mad George had, and he probably got said, he's, you know, he's got asked, do whatever you want. Um, and I, I, I first became aware of him in um, Dream Masters because he he did the whole Roach Motel sequence, right? which is horrifying. Uh, and that's when I first, I think, heard his name and then reverse engineered it from there. And didn't watch Society until probably, I don't know, like for the first time six, seven years ago. Like I, I, I just did not grow up with that movie and wasn't that aware of it, which is weird because I knew Brian Eusen's name because of Reanimator and everything. So it was, it's strange that I never really went down that rabbit hole and found it, but I'm so glad I did, uh, even though I'm never going to be the same. So <laughs> yeah. I, I keep hearing that I, I've only ever watched the first two Return of the Living Deads. The second one is kind of awful. First one's an all-time classic, legendary comedy horror. It was a groundbreaking one. In fact, if you ever zombies eat brains, that's from that movie. But he did the third one in the series. Uh, and I've never seen it, but people have said that's the only other one that's worth seeing, and it's pretty good. I watched it like four or five years ago, and it's like bonkers. It's fun. Okay. It's a really fun movie. Yeah, I mean, now that I know it's Jesna, I'm like, maybe I will. Yeah, I think it, I want to go down. It was like, I, same thing for Society with me. I watched it for the first time probably like, yeah, like seven or eight years ago. And I just watched it because like many of our elk do is during the, uh, Halloween, you know, October, just watching horror movie every day. And I try to make it a point to watch at least like 20 that I haven't seen. <laughs> and then like 10 or 11 that I've seen before. I try to really get some new ones in. And it was one of those for me. And I remember like watching it sort of passively. I'm like, it was kind of weird. And the lines, like, how do you take your tea? You were like, Milk wait, sugar, what? do you want to poo and <laughs> pee in it? And I remember like probably look, being on my phone and being like, I'm sorry, what now? <laughs> like, we uh, it's like, what did she say? And, like, and after that, I was like hooked. I was like, what? is going to happen in this movie. And it is one of those films that I don't think is just a general party film. I mean, I certainly would do a super cut and like cut out the last 20 minutes and put it in a cut of best scenes ever from horror films for a party. But there's a lot of stuff that the reason it works is because the movie does shit like that, that like, wait, what? And there's a scene where like he's sleeping with a playboy playmate, uh, playmate who, who uh, appears the girl, the other girl he's interested in. And there's like a shot where they got like three different girls in sort of bed as well with her, like, like the blankets girl. Like buried in to the make bed it under look blankets. like like her legs and arms are in at impossible angles yeah. and stuff. I'm like, oh, that's so cool! But you only see it for a second. There are like, cool little hints throughout of like that make. There's a real payoff here. We're like, you can just show the last 20 minutes of it, but if you watch the movie up until that point, it is such. To that point, I showed this to a bunch of friends two years ago or so, right before COVID, um, and <laughs> the reaction was. Like, we're watching everyone's like, oh, this is a crazy, like, corny 80s movie. We get it. It's fun. The end's happening. It starts, and everyone's like, oh, my God. About, like, ten minutes into it, it's still going. And one of my <laughs> friends is like, Alan, what is wrong with you? To me, not like, what is this? It's like, literally, like, what is wrong with you? Why are you showing <laughs> us? made you so happy. This movie, and I was just like, yes. Yes, that's when you know you've won. Yes, it was so good. And people were just, like, shocked. Like, it's it's a shocking ending for to be sure, like, yeah. and it's not like hyperbole to be like it's one of the weirdest, craziest endings to a movie you'll ever see. Yeah, it's not like Sleepaway Camp where you have to sit through the whole fucking. This is a pretty general slasher movie until you get to the shocking ending, <laughs> like for the last three seconds. This is like twenty some minutes of the film is like just gets more and more insane. <laughs> You're like, oh my god, what is happening? I'm right trying now? to crumb party. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing that could have made the reveal nice. maybe more insane is if. 
Michael J. Fox would have starred on this instead because then you weren't you wouldn't be expecting it at all. But and to see his reactions would have been great because I think Billy Warlock got compared to him. I think a lot. Like, that's yeah. what I said. I didn't know that in my notes. I was like, he's giving me. It's like a real mix of like Sean Astin and Michael J. Fox. Yeah. He has this, like he has the same body language and yeah. like some of his facial tics and all that. For but sure. I, and I, if I ever get a chance to talk to Michael J. Fox, I haven't interviewed him before. I'm going to ask him if he was ever offered society. He probably won't remember it. But man, yeah. that would be great. Oh man, or if he was in it. it. <laughs> yeah. it'd be, maybe he was in the orgy scene in a cameo. Yeah, yeah it'd be post Back to the Future. That would raise raise the profile of this movie quite a bit. It would, <laughs> yeah. If everything was exactly the same, except it was Michael J. Fox in this movie. And tons Holy of marketing shit. and just pulled the rug out of America. <laughs> oh my God, yeah. <laughs> right after Back to the Future. Oh, incredible. Yeah. Of these three films, this is the one I most say, if you haven't seen it and you like insane comedy horror stuff, this is the one I of the three I most recommend myself because I just... I, even I rewatching it, I was like, I was not ready even on rewatch for how batshit and shocking, even by today's standards, that last 20 minutes is. Like, yeah, I'm almost, almost regret that we spoiled it. Like, if, if you can somehow travel back in time before we talked about the ending, <laughs> do that, then full watch spoiler it. show. No, but I'll tell you, like, even us saying it's just shocking, we, we haven't really gotten into super details about what makes it that shocking. Uh, you just got to see it for yourself. Yeah, there's no describing it. Yeah, there's just no way to just to, like we could give it like tell you bit by bit everything that happens in it, and you still wouldn't be ready you for what you're see. actually gonna see. I'll just say like intense fisting scene. <laughs> Watch it on our first date. <laughs> yeah. So, honey, what do you think? <laughs> you want to try some wacky stuff that? tonight? Yeah. Uh, so, any last thoughts on this one before we wrap it up? I would argue that out of the comedy horror films that we watched for this set of episodes, this was probably the most dramatic. There were absolutely funny parts of it. I did laugh frequently, but I do feel like it was the least fully comedic of our comedic horror films just because of how intense and fucked up it was, man. (laughs) Yeah, Out of these three, for sure, it's the one that's like, has the strongest like horror pool in it. Yeah. Like it's, and it's never like, Oh my God, I'm scared, but it is legit disturbing <laughs> at moments, you know, like it's fucking weird. Yeah. It totally agree. Is that it? Anybody else? Drew, you got any last thoughts? No, because I keep just getting the visuals in my head from the movie all the time, so I'm kind of speechless. I know. Well, that actually wraps up the first episode of our trilogy of episodes here about comedy horror. We'll be coming back next week with more as we move into the 90s, and you'll have to wait until that episode comes out to see what three films we're going to talk about, or two, depending on how time goes. But I'm excited because there's some on here that I'm like, you know what? These are kind of favorite movies of mine that I've never gotten to podcast about. So I'm just like, yeah, yeah, I'm hip. And I think that at least if, at least you Mads haven't seen one of these, right? Oh, I hadn't seen most ah, of these. Don't say. Out of all of the movies that we've watched, the only one that I had seen at all was part of Cat, uh, part of not something that I'm going to say. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for listening. Please leave us your comments. Like we really do appreciate the comments. We appreciate the likes, subscribes, cross posting. All that really makes a real difference. Please love us. Thank. <laughs> please love me. I need. <laughs> I need validation for my existence. I mean, I actually do. So I appreciate it. But. Uh, uh, thank you, Drew. Thank you, Mads. Mm-hmm. And thank you, Alan. And we'll be back soon with more of the most horrible things ever. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs>